0: You are Locked On Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello friends, welcome to episode 1296 of the Atlanta Hawks podcast. I am your host Brad Rowland. Coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday here in mid-August. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher and Podbean on the audio side and YouTube on the video side. or we'll crossover and do both. That definitely helps the show. And we do appreciate all of the support right now and always. Um, today's episode is going to be sort of a... Uh, smorgasbord of an episode, a little bit of a news at the top of the podcast, and some mailbag questions later on. I should say that last week I talked to Andrew Kelly for a two-part episode that was well-received for the most part. And some people push back, as always, on some stuff that we've said on the podcast, but that was a good episode, a good conversation with Andrew on the show. And then before that, three-part episode with Bill Filippo about all kinds of Easter Conference hierarchy kinds of things, some Hawks talk in there as well, who are the best teams in the East, who are the worst teams in the East, and much more. But the season is getting very close at this point, six weeks or so away. From training camp at this stage so we're getting a little bit closer by the day and uh, for one thing it appears like the regular season schedule is going to be released very very soon there are already leaks happening as i record this on sunday about opening night and christmas schedule etc Um, Some people have been asking me if I think the Hawks should be playing on Christmas again this year. Uh, I have to say, just to be honest, I I would guess that they probably will not be playing on Christmas this time around, if I had to say so right now. It wouldn't stun me if they were able to get a Christmas slot again, probably that noon Eastern time window that they played in last year against the Knicks, of course, or the Sixers, something like that. Um, But given how little the Hawks have been on Christmas Day previously... And also uh, just kind of how last year went in a lot of different ways. My default is that they won't be there because they don't have that same built-in appeal that they had two years ago uh, coming off of the um, conference finals run, etc. Obviously, having Trey and Ajante gives the, a little bit of a hook there. And the Hawks are still, uh, I would say, more widely regarded and more widely consumed nationally if they have been at times during this run. But I think I would still probably guess at this point that that won't happen. I would love to see it though. I enjoyed working on Christmas last year, even though it's more, you know, more hours to put in, but it was still a lot of fun to go ahead and do that, having the extra spotlight on the Hawks, et cetera. So we'll see what the national TV slate kind of has for the Hawks in the near future when that all comes out. But if I had to guess right now, I would probably say no, but we'll see in terms of that and opening that, I would say probably uh, even less likely because there's just less games on that opening night um, of the entire season in October. Um, Beyond that, there was some preseason news of the last couple of days. Of course, the Hawks have already been scheduled to play two games in Abu Dhabi on October 6th and October 8th against the Milwaukee Bucks. It was not originally announced at the time. Those games are going to be starting, though, at noon Eastern. So it's a Thursday-Saturday set. So anybody that wants to watch that first game live at work they probably can't. will have the chance to go ahead and do that on Saturday at noon Eastern. So that's something to keep an eye on in the near future. Also, we talked about this a little bit last week on the show, but the Pelicans previously announced the game on Friday, October 14th in Birmingham that we touched on earlier. Um, And then actually uh, in the last couple of days, the Cavs announced the preseason schedule, and it has the Hawks going to Cleveland for a road game on Wednesday, October the 12th. So at the moment, there's four games scheduled for the Hawks in the preseason. Uh, Elena's, for whatever reason, always like, one of the last teams to actually announce their schedule. You have to kind of put it together from other reports and other kind of stuff like that. But these are uh, all firmly announced by teams, opposing teams, I should say. That's four games on the schedule. Um, we'll see what the plan is there. There are no home games so far have been announced by any team that would have been Hawks home games. So it won't stun me if there's only one game at home because of the fact that they had that Abu Dhabi trip, et cetera. But we'll see if they play two more at home, regardless of the sort of the playing purposes of myself. and I know a lot of Hawks fans want to see this team play in October. uh, The schedule is sort of being pieced together at this point in time. Elsewhere on the news side, Justin Tillman, a highly regarded former member of the Hawks organization, is going to be heading to the Denver Nuggets, reportedly from Chris Haynes on Friday. He agreed to a deal with the Nuggets, and Tillman was, of course, awesome last year for College Park in the G League. Um, He was a first-team All-G League selection, which kind of tells you how good he was. I know a lot of Hawks fans really like him, and justifiably so. He's, by all accounts, a really good guy as well. He played played pretty well in Summer League as well, Uh, did uh, suffer an injury near the end of the time in Las Vegas but, he, of course, he's kind of a classic tweener. He's like a six eight, uh, pretty much a pure center in a lot of ways. Nick Manexel, who was coaching the summer league team, told us on the record in Las Vegas that he just kind of wished Toma was two inches taller, which I think is kind of what everybody believes, honestly, because if he was 6'10", 6'11", he would definitely be an NBA player. Um, he still might be, to be honest. But for whatever it's worth, I'm going to guess is an exhibit 10 contract, more of a training camp deal with Denver. We don't know that to be at this point in time. It's not been announced anywhere that I've seen, but the Nuggets already have 15 guys under contract for next year under guaranteed deals. So they don't really have a whole lot of roster space available for Tillman. But still, I don't think he was going to be commanding a full roster deal in August no matter what. This is still a good opportunity for him, though, and I think in Atlanta it was never going to really happen for him in terms of a full squad contract. He's a little bit older than he would want. He's, I think, he's 26 right now at this point in time. So um, obviously wishing him the best for sure as he'll head to Denver and try to make the team out of camp. And everybody seems to really like him a lot. So there you go on that. That's uh, going to probably end his time with College Park, at least for now uh, when it comes to Justin Tillman. And then the last thing that's sort of newsy in the last few days is that ESPN released its summer forecast, sort of a panel of experts that weigh in on this kind of stuff. Um, A lot of different questions. Um, The big one, of course, is where the Hawks will land in the Easter Conference. They had the Hawks number six in the East with 46 wins. That is exactly the over-under projection total by Online, our friends over there, which again is right now it's 46, which we talked about a little bit last week with Bill. Um, the forecast, by the way, broke down sort of into the, in the clear tiers the way the ESPN's panel kind of voted. It was the top tier of Milwaukee and Boston and then Miami and Philadelphia in the next tier down and then Toronto and Atlanta kind of in their own tier at five and six, which is kind of uh, makes a lot of sense in some ways. Um, and the projection right now for the East – Around the Hawks was the Raptors at 47 wins, Cavs at 45 wins, and Bulls at 44 wins. So uh, basically, it's kind of all slotted in pretty close together. That's the order that I probably would have as well of those four teams. Maybe you could say that Hawks ahead of the Toronto uh, at this point in time, but as I've discussed a few different times, I think for the most part, these projections that you're going to see the hawks are going to be in this range something like five to seven and we'll see where they actually end up of course but uh it's still very early but that's where they had them also in that espn forecast um there was mvp components 11 players around the league got at least one vote for mvp trey young was not one of them um that was not hugely surprising given the modest projection for the hawks win total but i actually think that trey would be in my top 11 in terms of like most likely to actually win mvp just because if the Hawks were to win, let's say, 55 games, like with a the number one seed, number two seed in the East, I think Trey would have a pretty decent case at MVP odds. But we'll get into that later on, I'm sure. The crazy one for me that was a Hawks omission in ESPN's panel um, was that they had 13 different players receive votes for six man of the year and Bogdanovich was not included. Um, if it was me, I'd have Bogie in my top like three or four for Six man of the year honors right now. Uh, I think he's a pretty clear path and a pretty interesting profile to go ahead and compete for that award. It doesn't really matter, obviously, at this point. But uh, I think uh, conservatively, he, would, he will be in the top 13 unless there are injury concerns that will keep him out of that. And then the one guy who was included from the Hawks on ESPN's panel was a Kongwu. He finished tied for sixth in the most improved player voting on this panel. Obviously, most, most improved player is probably the most important, uh, sorry, the most difficult award to forecast before the season actually starts because you're actually kind of to have forecast improvement of a player that you haven't seen. Uh, but he was the only Hawks rep. I think that um, honestly, as much as I will, the Kongwu, I don't think he has a, a huge path to actually competing for most improved player. I will say the one thing that was a, sort of a caveat there is if Capella were to go down, um, you could certainly see a Kongwu having the, uh, the reps and the numbers to compete. Because basically, what it comes down to is most improved player, you kind of have to have a huge. Um, numerical drop in your performance, like points, rebounds, assists, kind of box, box score stats to actually win it. And I think he's he probably not going to play enough to have that kind of leap that you kind of have to have to win most improved player. But again, if, if Capella was traded or if Capella were to be injured, that'd be the one sort of pathway that I could see that happening. And he obviously has a, a traditional path to um, you know just getting a little bit older. He's still very young, 21 years old, and has a, a lot of room to grow. But, uh, you yeah, know, that, that's kind of where I am at this point in time anyway not a huge thing to break down there in espn but i know anytime the worldwide leader weighs in on anything people kind of take notice for the most part it gets put on that on that front page of espn.com etc and people are asking about it so i wanted to weigh in a little bit on that stuff over the last few days all right before we get to the mailbag portion of the podcast it we're from our sponsors on today's show Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you're probably yourself one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor as well. It is delicious. I actually just had one before recording this podcast. That's right. Bill has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite. It's cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. And they have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys being cookie dough without the hassle of actually having to make it. Plus, it's actually healthy for you as well. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs has 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Built.com has all of the stuff that you need to snag a box for yourself and your family. It'll be a perfect treat for you. Or you can find a hiding place. Just hoard them all for yourself. Share them. Do whatever you want to do. But definitely check out Built Bar at this point in time. And like all Built Bars, the new flavor is healthy and tasty. What's great about Built is that all the bars have collagen protein, which your body can help absorb more efficiently. And they have a ton of health benefits for you. Eat of them tastes good and it's actually good for you. You're going to absolutely love the new cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just to grab a quick bite, Built is a perfect protein bar and it tastes better than a candy bar as well. Ditch the calories, the fat, and the sugar and grab yourself a Built bar today. Go to Bilt.com to check out everything as well. And when you get there, use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with that promo code. One more time, that is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Bilt.com. All right, we'll dive in now to some mailbag stuff on the podcast. And honestly, I have uh, probably going to do more mailbags in the next few weeks. It's First of all, it's that time of year and also a lot of good questions. But if you have a question always for the podcast, I definitely am always in need of them, especially in the offseason. So send them in to the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks or to me on Twitter at BTRoland. Or you can email the show LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. And uh, this question comes from Jason, who says, I enjoyed the discussion about, about DeAndre Hunter with Andrew Kelly, but I wanted to know if you think that the Keldon Johnson extension has any bearing on the negotiations between Hunter and the Hawks. It seems like they're kind of similar situations, but I'm not sure who's a better player. Thanks for the podcast. Um, Well, first, thank you, Jason, for the question and for the kind words. As far as the question is concerned, it's actually coming up a lot in uh, some circles around the league, um, kind of when the Kelton Johnson extension was first announced because it was kind of in the same – range that you expect a hundred deal to come down if they were to actually finish that up and by the way i talked to andrew kelly again uh, as the question notes last week about 100 uh, for like 20 minutes so that's a full comprehensive discussion of that point but johnson's deal was report was, was reported first at four years and 80 million in the media that's actually um four years and 74 million plus incentives so he's actually going to start at high as well because the spurs have so much cap space they're going to start that like 20 million and have, have, actually have a decline over the next four seasons but at any rate um, Hunter and Johnson are both primarily small forwards from the same draft class, so it's a pretty uh, easy comparison in a lot of different ways between those two guys. Um, I should note, though, there are some differences in situations. Obviously, um, that stuff does matter. The Hawks have a ton of money on the books moving forward between Trey's extension and Collins' money, potential money for Capella that's already there on the books. like Dinesh still making real money, um, the next extension for everybody else, etc., Murray's, Murray's big money that's coming up in a couple of years, et cetera. So that's uh, important uh, in, ser- in terms of context. Also, the Spurs are not really competing right now in the way the Hawks actually are. So that's part of this as well. Um, one part that's sort of a factor that's not necessarily inherent, you don't have to make this a huge factor, but realistically, knowing how the league works, it is going to be part of the discussion, is that Hunter was the number four pick in the draft and as, as a result has a very high cap hold and a very, a very high qualifying offer as a former top five pick. Um, and also also the Hawks traded a lot to get him, and it's been well known for a long time that um, Travis Schlank likes the hunter quite a bit. He went out and got him, and that's obviously not a huge secret. Um, Johnson, though, fell kind of unexpectedly, actually, to 29 in the draft. So I actually had him a lot higher than that in that class, That was a great pick for the Spurs at that point in time. But it does matter in terms of optics and qualifying offer stuff, et cetera, and uh, we'll see how that all goes. But also... Let's just say this, the Hawks, as I've said before on on the podcast the last few weeks, Hawks have a lot invested in Hunter, even beyond the draft pick and the trade and all that stuff, because he's really their only small forward that they have on this roster to, uh, you know, at least it's like ready to play right now. Obviously, AJ Griffin might play a little small small forward in the future, etc. But in terms of like winning right now, Hunter is uh, certainly a huge X factor for this year's roster. At any rate, um, beyond that, the comparison that I'll, I'll keep going down the road here is that uh, age-wise, Hunter is 24 right now; he'll be 25 in December. Whereas Johnson is much younger; he's 22; he'll be 23 in October. So they're basically two years apart, th- despite being in the same draft class. I know there's always pushback in some corners about how much age actually matters as, as far as prospect evaluation, and I'm open to that. I'm not saying that age is the end-all, be-all factor, but um, and honestly, like NBA experience versus age is actually an interesting comparison as well. But undeniably, it would be better for the Hawks and better for Hunter if he was 22 versus 24 right now. So that's part of the calculus as well. To some degree, you could certainly argue how much that actually matters, but it does matter on some level. Um, Performance-wise, Johnson has been pretty much clearly better than Hunter, Um by the numbers. Obviously, you know, Hawks fans like Hunter and I, I get that. I like Hunter as well. We talked about that a lot on the show. I've got people that kind of push back at me a little bit about this stuff, but I'm just going to tell you, kind of present the numbers to you as to what these guys look like at this point in time. I will say this as, as well. Hunter is the better defensive prospect between these two guys. That's also important to note because Hunter is also bigger and stronger and a better defender. So that stuff's not always captured as well in the numbers, but keep that in mind as well. I think that um, the gap is not like massive defensively right now, but Hunter's upside is a lot higher defensively. I think he's also better right now defensively. On offense, though, Johnson has some pretty clear edges on paper. So playing time-wise, Hunter's actually averaged more more minutes per game, but has played fewer games because of injury, etc. Johnson's averaged about 14.4 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists per game. Hunter, 13.2 points, 4 rebounds, and 1.6 assists per game. A good opportunity, by the way, to remind everybody that uh, despite being notably bigger, as I just mentioned, Hunter was a much worse rebounder so far than Johnson. And that's one of the things that's been a little bit um, frustrating about Hunter is that he's got to rebound better. uh, And that's obviously a spot that the Hawks know he's going to have to get better at. Um, Efficiency wise, also a clear edge for Johnson at this point in time. They've taken actually almost the exact same amount of threes, about 600 in their careers. Johnson's at 38 and a half percent. Hunter is at thirty five point nine percent from three, so about a two and a half percent advantage for Johnson. Last year, Hunter was better than that at thirty seven point nine percent, but Johnson was also better than that at thirty nine point eight percent. So basically, it's about about two, point, two points better than Hunter at three point shooting. Um, From two-point range, Johnson 52.4% in his career from two compared to 48.4% for Hunter from two. That's a spot where Hunter's going to have to improve as well. Um, Similar stuff at the free throw line, both in attempts and accuracy, so no real edge there. Uh, True shooting-wise, Johnson about 3 percentage points better, 57.4% to 54.5% for Hunter. Um, Johnson's also been better in all the supporting sort of advanced metrics from the simpler ones like rebound rate, Assist rate, turnover rate, usage rate, et cetera. Those are all in favor of Johnson. Also, um, Johnson has a much better metrics in the advanced stuff between EPM and Raptor and BPM and VORP and Win Shares and pick, which, pick whichever one. And Johnson's been better at all of them, basically. So I don't, I don't, mean, I don't mean that to sort of demean Hunter, but because the question was sort of asking that um, that head-to-head comparison, I think it's been undeniable that Johnson has been better than Hunter in what has happened so far in their careers, and Johnson is two years younger. So it's hard for Hunter and his agency more specifically to make a case that he is better as a prospect than Johnson beyond the fact that he is a top five pick and Johnson was not. I do think though that Hunter's agent probably liked that contract to see coming through from Johnson. Cause it's good money for him for a guy who won't later in that first round Hunter has a better physical profile. And honestly, I would still say Hunter has higher upside than Johnson, even though I said all that stuff about Johnson being better so far. I do believe that that's, it's very clear in the numbers to me that he's been a better player so far, but because of the defense and the physicality, and I just, I just kind of buy Hunter more as a long-term upside play than Johnson. I, I would take Hunter probably still, um, alas, um, I discussed it with Andrew a little bit, but there's, there's, been, there's been that reporting from Jake Fisher. It's a $20 million split between the Hawks and Hunter's team on an extension. I think that's a pretty big gap. And I would guess, as I said on that show, it's not going to get done most likely. I think it certainly can get done still. but I think it's a pretty decent benchmark to go off of that Johnson got like $18.5 and a year. I think the Hawks probably will offer less than that. I'm sure they're offering less than that right now. And then we'll see where Hunter's camp lands. But um, you know, I, I, it frustrates me. People think I hate Hunter. I really don't, or that I'm rooting against him. That's not the case at all. I've always liked DeAndre, both as a player and also as a guy. I think he's a good guy. By all all accounts, I've always enjoyed my interactions with him, etc. But it is my job to point out like the realities of what's happened so far and the numbers and all that stuff as well. So I try to give you the full picture on the show if you're a new listener. That's my goal always. I know this is obviously a podcast about one team, but I'm not going to just give you the the rah-rah always on this podcast. I will have to give you all the context that I can give you and that's part of this as well. But I do believe this. I said it with with Andrew last week, but I believe it's going to be the best year of Hunter's career so far in year four. I still Buy it. I think he's going to earn a lot of money as a result of that. But we'll see how that all breaks down in the near future. But that's the that's the first question that I'll answer on the podcast today it was about Hunter and Johnson. So there you go on that. All right, we'll have more questions from you guys coming up in a second, but first it worth from our sponsors. All right, a couple more questions to get on to uh on this Sunday into Monday. Um, one question, there was actually a link attached to it, but I won't, I can't really show that on the podcast, but, uh, Joshua says, along with the link, why do some turn to drugs in the dead of the part of the off season? Is there a help program for cases like this that I can donate to? Cause this is crazy, et cetera. Basically it's an unnamed site. I don't, I don't want to pile on. I'm not going to list the site and who it is, but, um, people were tagging me in this cause it's such a crazy trade offer and it's definitely a doozy. So I figured I would tackle it now and uh, kind of just have one more to address beyond this. But basically there was an unnamed blog on a network that proposed the Hawks would be trading Trey Young and John Collins, so Trey Young and John Collins for Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, and a single first-round pick from the Celtics. Obviously, it's an absurd trade. I love Jalen Brown; he's really good. Uh, he's not nearly on the class of Trey in terms of trade value at this point in time. Um, obviously, you know John Collins is also very valuable as well. Uh, it wouldn't happen, but I think it was pretty funny to kind of get that um, and frame the way that it was for Joshua. It was kind of amazing, like how viral that went in Hawks Twitter. That was a pretty funny moment when it, when it happened. So obviously a crazy trade. Trey will not be traded in the near future. From there, um, question from Chris. Uh, he says, not to sound like a, like, like a conspiracy theorist, but could, have, could Sharif Cooper have played poorly in Summer League to incentivize the Hawks to cut him? He now has the opportunity to play for any team instead of being on a two-way behind a stacked backcourt. He was really bad in Vegas. End quote from Chris. Uh, Thank you for the question, as always. I do kind of get the thought here. I will say that just to kind of frame this up. Um, Cooper was quite bad in Vegas, as we discussed a lot on the podcast. Um, And there is a school of thought that actually is accurate here, honestly, for his career path, that there is a way to think about this where Sharif might have been better off not with the Hawks on a two-way in particular because there's not a whole lot of uh, upside momentum there when it comes to you know guys in front of him, et cetera. At the same time, the answer to the question is no, because uh, no player or agent would ever be trying to look as bad as he did in summer league in front of the rest of the league you know summer league is not the end all be all but it is a time of the year for a prospect that's not proven anything like sharif or like anybody that's playing summer league it's not like a first round pick already with a guaranteed contract um it's sort of an audition for the league you know from older veterans coming back trying to make it back in the league young guys trying to get deals etc um you don't want to play poorly in that setting now i'm not saying that it matters you know at a crazy level but uh sharif did definitely did not want to put together that bad of a tape for four plus games almost five games in vegas that was obviously not what you want to see so as i still record this um he is unsigned and i think that i'm not sure where he's going to land next i think he'll be around the league but there's a chance he's not on a contract this year we'll see he's 21 years old he's still really talented but it was not a good summer for sharif and we'll see where that sort of leads him in his next step but i'll say we're ready for him big time uh, locally. I know he has a ton of fans because he's from here, but I hope that Shreve lands on, lands on his feet. But to answer the question, no, I cannot imagine he actually tried to get cut from the Hawks. Um, one more, at least maybe this might be the last one for today, but um, the other one that came up, it was kind of similar in terms of like the fake trade stuff to a different one earlier, but it was a fake trade from Fred Katz of the athletic that dropped earlier in August. So this one is uh, context, very important because Fred did not just wake up one morning with the idea of enraging Hawks fans. But Fred is very smart. He's been on the show before. I've been on his show, et cetera, when he covered the Wizards. Um, he took this idea from a report from Sarania in July and ran with it in a way that a lot of people do in, 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 in the dead of summer. So at the end of July, and by the way, I talked about it on the podcast when it happened, but Shams included uh, six teams outside of the Knicks with reported interest in Donovan Mitchell. I said at the time, I firmly believe that was an uh, old interest from the Hawks side before the Murray trade. And it makes very little sense to me, really no sense to me at all, that the Hawks would still be trying to get Mitchell with where the roster is right now with Young and Murray on it. It's fairly obvious to me why that would be, but just in case you were wondering, um, a backcourt trio of Young, Murray, and Mitchell uh, is very small, very bad defensively, even though Murray is obviously good. The other two guys are not. And uh, only one ball to go around with those with, with, with with three guys and a lot of money invested in the three of them. But... Um, For Fred's sake, again, for context, there was a framing device here, and this is the other key part. Fred wrote the following, quote, Here's a dive into the greatest possible offers that the non-Knicks six teams could make for Mitchell. Again, I'm quoting now, the all-in, quote, we must land this guy, quote, pitches from these teams, end quote, Um, along with what the Knicks could trade to top them. So basically he is saying this is the best possible offer that these teams could make not that the Hawks a should make it or B that they actually ever would make this trade. But you know how this goes in the context that it was often missed when people were tagging me in this, when it was coming out, um, Hawks fans were like, wait, what is going on here? This is, this is the athletic. It's not like it was one of those like aggregator sites. This is a real writer writing this, but again, Fred's, uh, goal. I know know people always kind of scroll down to see where the Hawks are. I I don't blame you on that, but, uh, basically he wrote in the piece some of the reasons why the Hawks wouldn't do this and noted that it does not even work for cap reasons, et cetera. But anyway, the deal is the all in package was Collins, Hunter, a Kong Wu, and a bunch of picks Atlanta's pick this year, the Kings pick from the herder deal, the 2029 first round picks uh, pick and uh, two pick swaps as well. I think it's very obvious. This is an actually like a, like, like, a pretty preposterous trade from the Hawks standpoint, But in in case you're wondering why, uh, obviously the Mitchell part with Murray and Trey is part of this. Um, I wouldn't trade this. I wouldn't consider trading this for Mitchell even before the Murray trade. I wouldn't give probably two-thirds of this for Mitchell. I'm a little lower on Mitchell than some. But, um, yeah, this is a lot. Uh, Again, Collins, Hunter, Akongwu, and uh, the equivalent of – four or five picks. That is a crazy haul. That's a haul that you trade for like Giannis and nothing else, or maybe like top five guys in the league and nothing else. Um, and Murray and uh, sorry, with, with apologies to Mitchell, he's not that. He's like more of a top 30 ish guy for me. So uh, I would not have traded even just the players before the picks for Mitchell. I would not trade Collins, Hunter and a Kong Wu for Mitchell by himself, even pre Murray trade. That's probably just me. But uh, you know, anyway, uh, I think there's a lot of value with this, with those three guys, etc i've now addressed it gonna move on with our lives but it was kind of a funny one that made the rounds and uh yes i saw it to answer everybody's questions i i saw it it was crazy and fred was not trolling you in particular but it was one of those things people do in august um all right that'll be it for the actual serious questions on today's show, people were kind of asking me like what's going on with the podcast. Um, if you're a new listener or an old listener that's not been paying attention closely recently, um, I didn't record for like three days, which is I know it's a long time for me, but um, basically the show is going to be about three times a week until the middle of September. So that's why there wasn't a show. I actually had to travel this last weekend for a few days, and I posted that two-part episode with Andrew. So we still had three last week. We had three week before that, etc. I think it's going to be at least three, three, maybe even four, I think, or four uh, along a couple of weeks ago, et cetera. So the best way to find the podcast always to subscribe to the show. Also follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks or I will usually share the episodes also at BT Roland on Twitter. But uh, I really do appreciate all the subscriptions and the ratings and the reviews, but please spread the word about the podcast. It's actually time to grow the show. Even in the dead period, people are looking for stuff to listen to before before football starts, et cetera. And again, six ish weeks away from training camp media day, all that fun stuff. We're going to be here all the way through. So please hop on board and tell a friend about the podcast. All right. That'll do it for today. We'll see you all later in the week. And uh, again, more build my questions coming. Please keep coming at hawks on Twitter, at BT Rowan on Twitter, LawtonHawks at gmail.com. Send them in, and I'll answer them in the near future. And with all that said, we'll see you next time.